Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, we're going to jump through. I'm going to finish Colossians. Can you say finish Colossians? Amen. We're going to finish it in like 20 minutes. You think I can do that? You can, you got to believe. Come on, I tell you, people move by faith. Amen. All right. So, so here it is, Colossians. Remember now, Epaphras, he's the guy who started this church, and Epaphras started the work, and a lot of false teachings came in, a lot of false doctrine. Colossians is literally a book about heresies. It's about heresies that wanted to attack the finished work of the cross and the complete work of Christ, and tried to add other stuff to the gospel. And if you add anything to the gospel, what do you do? You empty the gospel of power. The gospel becomes less powerful when you add stuff to it. So don't let anybody add stuff to the gospel on you. All right, what Jesus Christ did, that's it, good enough, finished. So Epaphras was concerned about that. He wrote to Paul, his father. Paul had actually never even visited the church, never been in the region. But Paul sent a letter in response to Epaphras saying, I'm gonna send this letter. And Paul, the apostle, sent a letter and he exalted the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. Jesus is supreme over all, and being supreme over all, he has the absolute right to be the all-sufficient one, that the one is supreme over everything and upholds everything by the power of his word. He declares you're righteous by the finished work of the cross. He is legally qualified through the finished work of the cross. He alone is sufficient to deliver you, set you free, completely bring you into your fullness of your destiny and your relationship with the Father. That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to make it really clear that Jesus is Lord, and he alone is fully able to qualify you to be saints and to be perfect. Now look at this. Another couple verses just to recap. Colossians 1, 28, 29. He said, him we preach warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, every man, every man, every man, every man, what? Perfect in Christ. Perfect. Telios. Brought to an end. Finished. Wanting nothing necessary to completeness. Full grown adult maturity. When you come to Christ, you don't come in as an infant. You get full born, full grown son and daughter status. You're not waiting to get the rights and the benefits because when you become a believer, believe me, the devil's not saying, oh, well, you're just a baby believer gonna leave you alone for a while. He comes to kick you in the teeth right away and because of that, the Father brings you into full sonship, full status, full revelation, full benefits immediately as a full-grown, mature child of God. You're not trying to get there. You don't have to do a bunch of other things. You don't have to jump through a bunch of other hoops at all. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if there's another way or anybody's teaching another way, it's a false doctrine and a false religion. Next, he says it again in Colossians 2. He says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you are complete through your efforts, your, your courses and your studies and your church attendance and your four hours of prayer every day. You are then brought into union. No, you're complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and every authority. You are in Christed when you become a believer. Because of that, you're complete. Well, what does complete mean, pastor? It's pleroo. Pleroo means to fill to the top so that nothing shall be wanting to the full measure to render perfect in every particular. But does that cover this? It covers that, yeah. Does that mean full even in this area? It, it covers that too. But, but does it mean full over here? It covers that too. It's not my idea. It's not my opinion. It's actually the Bible. That's why it's always good to read it once in a while. 
complete pleroo. So he wants you to be absolutely complete in him. So the commission of Paul, in Acts chapter 26, he's talking to King Agrippa. And with King Agrippa, he said, I want to share with you my commission. Jesus himself came to me on the road to Damascus. He come to me and he said, I now send you to the Gentiles. He said, I send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Holy moly. Like Paul, Paul is attacking Christians and thinks there's some crazy sect that are against God, but then Jesus himself shows up and says, you who've been attacking Christ, I'm going to make you the biggest and boldest proclaimer of Christ, and I'm going to use you to minister to the Gentile world and bring them all out of darkness and bring them in the light. And Paul's like, whoa, wow, pretty awesome day. So that's a pretty huge calling. That's a pretty huge calling. That's Paul's own words. That's Paul, you know, sharing, this is what, you know, Jesus said to me, and this is the commission that I have. Pretty big commission. Romans 16, three to four, says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. My fellow workers. See, here's people who came alongside Paul. Paul told them, God, through Jesus Christ, has brought me into his kingdom, and he's commissioned me to go to the Gentiles and bring the whole Gentile world into the light of God's love. Wow, Aquila and Priscilla, it sounds awesome. How can we help? Straight up. And they said, my fellow workers in Christ, they risked their very lives for me. Like here's people who came alongside the mission and the purpose in Paul's life. And they said, the whole Gentile world knowing Jesus sounds good. How can we get involved? They got involved to risking their very lives. Settle down. I know it's exciting. You know, please, you know. Acts 19, verse 10. And this continued for two years. Here they were in Ephesus with, with these folks, teaching and preaching. And this continued for two years so that all, say all, who dwelt in Asia, say Asia, all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jews and Greeks. Two years, all of Asia heard the good news. Woo! That's because Paul had a great big satellite truck that traveled with him and they beamed it all over the world on everybody's 58-inch LCD, big screen, 4U, 4K, whatever, TV sets. No, Paul was local. It was just a guy. You know how that happened? It happened because Paul obeyed God and his commission for his life and Paul shared that with a whole bunch of other people and a whole bunch of other people got involved in Paul's ministry in his life and because of that whole bunch of other people, all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Pretty good, huh? You know, this massive, amazing commission that Paul had, it would not have happened unless a whole lot of other folks got involved in what Paul wanted. So that brings us to Colossians 4, and these are the last several verses. You're going to have to open your Bible and read. I've only put a bit up. That's just the last verse, but I'm going to read 7 to 18. You ready? Say, Tychicus. Very good. Tychicus. Sounds like a, you know, some kind of a virus or a gnat, or you got bit in the backyard. Tychicus. Anyway, don't, don't you know, be nasty. It's his name. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. And he may know your circumstances and that he may come for your hearts. And with Winnesimus. Winnesimus is coming to He's a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. And they will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Aristarchus. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas about whom you received uh, received workers of the kingdom that are uh 
about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Verse 11, and Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers in the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, and they've proved to be a real comfort for me. Epaphras, that's who this book was written in response to, Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, he is here with me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, he greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand. Here's the two things that Epaphras is praying for. What's he praying for? That you may be perfect and you may be complete. What's the whole message of the gospel? You're perfect, you're complete. What's he praying would be manifest in your life? You're perfect and you're complete. With everything in him, he's praying for that manifestation to be in you. For I bear witness with him that he has great zeal for you and of those who are in Laodicea and those in Aeropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphas, who has a church in his house. Bad translation. It's her house. Everywhere else, it's her house. In all the original texts, it's her house. But we had some kind of a male chauvinist translator who decided to put his house because just couldn't figure out that a woman could have a church in her house. Anyways, we talked about that last week. All right. Number 16, verse 16. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle to the Laodicea. And remember, say to Archippus, you ready? Say this to Archippus. I'm writing this down and I want you to go right up to Archippus and I want you to say to him, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. That's interesting to tag that personal declaration over one individual in the church. That one word in my final greeting, I'm just about to say goodbye, but oh yeah, one more thing. Say to Archippus, the job that God gave you to do, take it seriously. Do your very best job in the calling that you have received. Say received. All right. This salutation is by my own hand because uh, Epaphras was writing the letter, but then Paul took the letter from Epaphras and with his own hand, he wrote his own signature and he signed it himself to say, this is really me. I really sent it. And I love this. Here's his final comments. Remember my chains. Be praying for me. And then the last thing, grace be with you. Amen. Grace be with you. Amen. Is Paul's greatest salutation, and he uses it often. Are you ready? Here we go. Some great theologians. Some of you know these guys. Uh, this one here, here it comes right now. Boom. Michael Jordan. Teamwork and intelligence win championships. He said, talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence win championships. So talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence win champions. That's from the great theologian Michael Jordan. Tommy Lasorda. How many remember Tommy? How many have no idea who Tommy is? Tommy was the great uh, uh, manager, really uh, kind of uh, flamboyant manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers for years and years. Tommy Lasorda said, playing for yourself wins trophies, but playing for your team wins championships. Say team. This whole final passage of Colossians is all about team. It's all about people. It's all about Paul declaring very clearly that none of us are an island to ourselves and none of us can do the call of God in our lives without a lot of other people. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for that. Amen? All right, so that was good. Now, uh, John C. Maxwell, I like John Maxwell. We're actually doing a course with John C. Maxwell. Cooperation is working together agreeably. Cooperation is working together agreeably. Cooperation is working together agreeably, but collaboration, say collaboration. We are collaborators. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're collaborators. 
collaborator, collaboration is like a carburetor. A collaboration is working together aggressively. So we're not just agreeable, we're collaborators and we're going to be aggressive in what God's called us to do. Like you think of Aquila and Priscilla, they were ready to give their very lives. They were ready to lay down their very lives for for the ministry that Paul was involved in. They came into and got so personally involved in what Paul was doing that they were willing to lay their very lives down for Paul. Now that's not cooperation, that's collaboration. That's where you're aggressively attaching yourself to something. So, and John Maxwell says, collaboration is working together aggressively, and there's a world of difference between the two. There's a world of difference between the two. All right, let's uh, give you another picture here. You ready for this one? The Great Escape. How many of you remember The Great Escape? How many, how many have watched that movie? How many have never watched that movie? Please put your hands up if you've never how many know who Charles Bronson is? Remember Charles Bronson? How many have no idea who Charles Bronson is? Wow, really, eh? The, the Great Escape, all right? The, if you've watched The Great Escape, it's actually a true story. It's all based on a true story. But here's a bunch of prisoners. Now, as a prisoner of war, it was a part of your responsibility as a prisoner of war to try to escape. That was part of the rules. You weren't just to go, oh, well, we're locked down here. You literally, you had a responsibility to try to get out, to try to escape. And so they had a responsibility to try and to do that. So in the Great Escape movie, you see all these guys working together, but they came together and they thought, we don't want to just get one or two people out. We want to set up a plan where in one night we're going to get 250 prisoners out of this place. Big plan. 250 prisoners going to get out in one night. So that was their plan. So they had this massive scheme that involved all kinds of people. And Steve McQueen, his job was to constantly escape, to constantly distract, you know, the, the Germans from what was going on. He was constantly trying to escape every single time. He was just trying to escape so that he'd keep their eyes on Steve McQueen because they were digging these tunnels, a massive group of tunnels that were going all the way out into the woods. And they had incredible, but to dig these tunnels, they needed incredible resources. And these guys are prisoners of war where are they going to get the resources to dig these tunnels that are going to stretch all the way out under the wires, all the way into the forest? How are they going to do this? And how are they going to hide the dirt? Because obviously we're digging a pile of dirt. And I mean, you know, we're digging dirt out, bringing dirt out. And then we can't just leave the dirt sitting there in our rooms. They'll come and go, hey, where's the dirt from? Gee, I don't know. It must be a big anthill. I'm not sure what happened there. I mean, uh, there's so many things they had to think of. Then they had to get clothing. They had to get documentation. They, they had people who did so many different things. This whole group of people all began to work together collaboratively with one goal. We're going to get 250 of us out of here in one night. Yes. I love that. So you should go watch the movie. If you've never watched the movie, check it out. But let me just read this for you. When the soldiers themselves locked away in the German prisons, they, they could easily have waited for the end of the war, but no, they wanted to escape. One camp had high goals. The story became known in the 1963 movie, The Great Escape. These prisoners organized themselves around a collective goal of freeing 250 in one night. This great teamwork that was required was so an ambitious goal. They had an engineer who, who knew how to dig tunnels. They had to build walls with slats, wooden slats. They had to dispose of dirt. They had to create billows to plump air into the tunnels. They had to light the tunnels. According to one list of supplies, it included 400 bed slats, 1,370 battens, 1,699 blankets, 52 long tables, 1,219 knives, 30 shovels, 600 feet of rope, 1,000 feet of electrical wire. In addition to finding materials to tunnels, each of them had to find civilian clothes, German papers, identity cards, maps, homemade compasses, and cheesecake. Oh, I think I threw that in. I'm a, 
I was like, and emergency rations. Well, that was it. Every one of them had a job. Tailors, pickpockets, foragers. They were all working together. Everyone with a specialized responsibility even to distract the German soldiers. John Sturges, who directed the movie account, said it demanded the concentration, devotion, and vigilance of more than 600 men. Every single one of them. Every minute. Every hour. Every day. Every night for more than a year. Never has the human capacity been stretched to such incredible lengths or shown such determination and courage. To pull this mission off, the soldiers were moved beyond cooperation into collaboration. And I mean, they did it, but when they popped up the tunnel, remember the, you remember in the movie, and they came up a little bit short, they were like about 20 yards from the woods, and so they couldn't get everybody out so fast, but they got a whole whack of people out, and it was so cool, so good. But you know what that means? I mean, they had to get wire, they had to get thousands of bedsheets. You'd think the Germans would have said, where's all these bedsheets going? What's going on? But they committed themselves to get something done. Folks, there's all kinds of people all around you, everywhere you are, in the darkness of the end. And like Paul said, I want to get people out of Satan's dominion into the freedom of God. If we're going to do this, folks, it means we've all got to get involved. Every one of us have to realize that what we're called to do is important. Let me give you another picture. Look at this picture. Wow, look at that. Those are two Belgian horses. They're kind of like Clydesdales. Now, look at all that lumber. How many know lumber is pretty good? How many picked up a log recently? How many know, like wood is dense and it's really heavy? Am I telling you the truth? Am I telling you the truth right now? Somebody give me a witness. All right, thank you very much. That looks like an awful lot of wood, doesn't it? But you know what? Those two Clydesdales are going to pull that whole wagon full of wood. Isn't that incredible? Now, that just made me wonder about this whole thing. A single draft horse can pull up to 8,000 pounds. The strength involved is hard to imagine. It says, so when you tie up two draft horses, you immediately think... 8,000 pounds, 8,000 pounds, must be 16,000 pounds. But that's not so. When you tie together two draft horses, they can pull more than six, not more than 16,000, they can actually pull 24,000 pounds. 24,000 pounds. And they say now, if you have two horses that have trained together and worked together and know each other well, they can do over 36,000 pounds. They have a, a, the world record for two horses pulling is in Belgium. Two horses that trained together, grew up together. And those two horses have pulled over 50,000 pounds. And that just goes to show you. It just goes to show you something. It just goes to show you that not just agreeably doing things together, but collaborating together. I mean, really engaging in a mission, really training yourself and giving your strength to one another to do something. The Bible says one chases, ten, two can taste, a thousand. I mean, well, there's, there's an aggressive multiplication when people start moving together and collaborating together. So let's look back at Colossians. You ready? Let's look back at the Apostle Paul here. Now, the Apostle Paul was able to bring together collaborators. That's why he gave this whole list of people. How many think it's pretty wonderful that you're listening to Paul talk about friends, people who gave their lives together with him to do this? Important enough that the Holy Spirit inspired them to put it in Holy Scripture. Important stuff then. The Apostle Paul was able to bring together collaborators. Several places in his writings, he has lists of people who work together with them. Collaborators produce incredible results. Folks, when we work together, we can do so much more. When you know what your place is, when you know how to connect, and we don't, we don't just sit here agreeably, but we're sitting here aggressively involved in purpose and in mission. When we do that, it's a powerful thing. We got 35 churches working together to do an alpha program in town. 95 billboards all over town. And we're, we're trying to do everything. We, we've given out Y books all over town. We put $5,000 into the Y program to put 90,000 Y books all over town. There's things right now that the church is working together in this season, and we're believing for harvest. We're believing for 
harvest. Please settle down. I know it's exciting. We're, we're trying together as churches. We are collaborating, and we are believing that the darkness out there has to go. We have a responsibility. We are called to turn them from darkness to light and to manifest to them the love of God. Can I get a hallelujah? Thank you. Can I get an amen? Can I get, that's right, pastor. All right, we don't want agreeable amens. We want aggressive amens. But here's Paul. Let's look at these names. going to go through them really fast. You ready? Really fast. But here's Tychicus. Say Tychicus. God bless you. All right. Tychicus. He's named six times in the Bible. And most often, everywhere where his name is named, there's also attached to that name is go encourage somebody. So Tychicus must have been the kind of guy that when he walked in the room, you felt blessed. You felt encouraged. Because when Paul wanted to communicate encouragement and communicate what was going on, he said, I'm going to send Tychicus. And when he comes to you, he's going to encourage you. How many could use some encouragement? How, do you know that most people need encouragement? Do you know that most people, the, the background in their heads, the elevator music is glum and some drum and bleh. Most people go through life, bleh. You know, people need to be encouraged. You got to get your eyes off yourself a little bit and just encourage somebody. Just take a minute to encourage somebody. It means so much because everybody needs some. And encouragement helps people. It blesses people and strengthens people. So thank God we got some encouragers on our team. Are there any encouragers here today? Is there anybody that you, you couldn't wait to get to church to encourage somebody? You couldn't wait to church to meet somebody and just encourage their faith and bless them? You should always say, I got that ticket kiss anointing on me. I want to encourage somebody. I want to bless somebody. I want to lift somebody up. You got to have some encouragement on the team. Next, Winissimus. Say Winissimus. Now, Winissimus was a slave who had escaped. And he went to Rome, and in Rome, he came to Jesus and became a part of Paul's team. And if you read the book of Philemon, the book of Philemon is all about the fellow who owned Onesimus. So Onesimus was a slave. We talked about that last week. That's an abhorrent, ugly thing. But even in their culture, here's Paul. Paul is speaking to Onesimus, and he's saying, Onesimus is going to come back to you, Philemon. I'm sending him back to you. Philemon, right here, 15 and 16, he says, I pray that you might receive him forever, and no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. I'm sending back Onesimus to you, because legally in our culture, if you know, that's where he belongs. I'm sending him back. I'm going to honor this culture, and he's a runaway slave, and he's in danger, so I'm sending him home. But Philemon, I hear that you're a believer. And you read Philemon, and he says, and I, I'm saying this, and I, I know you're going to do it, but I'm going to be strong with my words. I want you to treat him as a brother and not as a slave. He's going to come back. He's going to come back to you forever, but I want you to honor him as a brother in the Lord and not as an object that you own. I mean, get into that culture and think about how difficult it was for them to do church. I mean, oh my goodness. But here was Onesimus. He was one of them, a runaway slave. His past had been resolved and he is redeemed and now he's serving the purpose of God in his life and willingly he's going back into that situation and believing and trusting that that redemption has even affected the home where he was once owned, where he can go back and he can be a brother in the Lord. Onesimus was one of those people, a part of Paul's team. Next, we got Aristarchus. Aristarchus. Aristarchus is really, really good on sausages with sauerkraut. Just some of that is awesome. Anyways, Aristarchus, he's named five times in the Bible. He is a Macedonian from Thessalonica, and he attached himself to Paul. Now, here's what he did. Whenever you find this guy, you find that he's in jail with Paul. So it's kind of like, Aristarchus, Paul got arrested. Okay, get me some rocks. I'll break some windows so I can get arrested. 
Where's the Roman soldier that I can kick in the shins so I can get arrested? Why? Because if Paul's in jail, I want to go there. I want to be with him. I don't want him to be alone. So if Paul got arrested, I'm getting arrested because that's the call of God in my life to whenever Paul's in jail, I'm going to jail. Where were you when I was in jail? Well, that was self-inflicted. That's true. He attached himself. To, I mean, you got to have people, friends. Isn't it great that, that God has brought friends into your life that will even go to jail with you? Praise Jesus. Look at another guy. Mark. Now, Mark was another guy. He's a guy who deserted Paul on the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas went. They took Mark. Mark got halfway through going, my God, we're getting whipped. You're getting stoned. I'm leaving. Ah, he ran away. And then when they wanted to go back on a journey, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go visit the churches again. Let's go encourage them. Okay, good. Let's bring Mark. And here's what Paul was. Their contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. What was the contention? That was between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas said, let's bring Mark. Let's bring Mark. Let's give Mark another shot. Paul said, never. Come on, let's take him. We should take him. No. And they became so you know, nasty with each other. Their disagreement with whether they should take Mark with them or not was so strong, so sharp that they parted ways. Could you go where you want? I'm going around. And they parted ways. How many knew that stuff like that happened in the Bible? Not just right here in Impact Church. Later, Paul in 2 Timothy 4.1, you can read it. I don't, you don't have it there, but I got it right here. This is what Paul said later on about Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. That's Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy. So early on, Paul's saying, he blew it. I don't care. I'm never using him again. But later on, Paul got a little gray hair, a little more wisdom, a little more understanding. He said, you know what? Somewhere along the line, he used him and brought him along. And he said, you know what? Mark has proven He's a great guy. He's been really helpful to my ministry. Everybody deserves a second chance. Do I hear third chance? Do I hear fourth chance? Do I hear fifth chance? Do I hear sixth? 70 times seven. Oh my God. You know what comes right after that? Lord, increase our faith. That's exactly where that passage is. Where did they say increase our faith? When he said forgive people 70 times 7. Some of you are very close. Some of you are at 69 times 7. So just want you to know that. I'll send you an email later. 70 times 7 means completely, totally, all the time, never, ever consider not forgiving and honoring and blessing and restoring someone. Amen. Get an amen. How many are like, wow, I'm learning stuff just from him saying all these people's names? Not so much, okay. All right, Mark, who's next? Who's next? Oh, Justice. Justice, they called him Justice because his name was Jesus, and he played outfield for the Cincinnati Reds, but it got a little weird. You couldn't say Jesus, so they said, let's call him Justice because sometimes we say, hey, Justice. Somebody goes, you know, if they said, hey, Jesus, somebody thought Jesus just walked through the room and it was only Justice. But if Justice comes in the room, he brings Jesus with him because Jesus is in Justice. But anyways, enough about Justice, whose name was Jesus. All right. One of the brothers from the Jewish group who identified himself with the teacher of grace. Now think about this. It says he was a part of the circumcision. So he's a part of the Jewish group that he, he still, he was a part of the circumcision. It doesn't say he was circumcised. He was a part of the circumcision. So this means that Paul had people on his team who still really believed circumcision was important. And even though Paul said it's rubbish, it's all grace, Paul had people on his team who still held that doctrine to be really important as far as they were concerned. What does that tell you? That tells you that you can have strong opinions about certain doctrines, and if you keep them to yourself, you can still get along with other people. Well, this is really important to me, and if it's not important to you, I'm leaving. 
Well, here's Paul and some people who are part of the circumcision. You know what? For the cause of Christ, we're going to get along. And for the cause of Christ, we're going to not just be agreeable. We're going to be aggressive about the purpose of God in our lives. Can I get an amen? Can I get a, that might be a good point, Pastor. Because you know what? If you're part of the circumcision or part of the uncircumcision, if you're caught in the flood, I'll still help you. I won't say, oh, whose team do you want? Oh, I'm going to let you drown. Okay, next. You don't care. Don't define differences. Love people. Thank you, Pastor. You do the same, please. Wow. Okay. We're next. Epaphras. This is the fellow who, you know, because he actually wrote the letter. He says, Epaphras, the church planted a pastor in Colossae, serious about prayer. Listen to this. Paul, Paul is saying, we wake up and we have our devotions. And when I'm praying, just having a coffee, all of a sudden I look over and Epaphras is going for it. Like Epaphras is fervently laboring in prayer. Like I'm just like, Lord, bless my Cheerios today. And thanks for the great call in my life. I thank you for grace upon grace. And Epaphras is like, Father, in Jesus' name, I just groan that they might embrace the perfect. Epaphras settled down. Oh, my goodness. How did he know that he labored fervently in prayer? Because he saw it. He said, here's a guy. He is laboring in prayer for you that you would stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God for your life. Wow, that's a good pastor, amen? How many know that I'm laboring pretty often? Not at 6 o'clock in the morning, but pretty early I get up, I start praying about you. Actually, you're always on my mind. It's amazing. Pastoring is worse than having your own business. It just never leaves you. You know, just constantly there. You know, Lord, not them again. You know? No, just kidding. <laughs> And it's his grace that lets you do it all. I love this church. I can I could never express how much I love this church and the privilege it is of serving you. You could do anything with your life today. All of you. All of you could be golfing for goodness sake. But you're sitting here. I am so grateful for the partnerships that we have and for the aggressive collaborators that are in this house. Amen. Always laboring fervently for you in prayer that you may stand perfect. Let's look at another one. You ready? Another one. Luke. I mean, Luke was a doctor, and, and he didn't want to set up his, you know, plaque on the wall and make lots of money and take vacations on the Spanish Riviera. He decided that I'm going to travel with Paul. I'm going to be a doctor for Paul. I'm going to help this team. I'm going to travel with them, and I'm going to be a part of this missionary team. When we go into places, we'll heal people, touch people, minister to people, and those who got hangnails and toenails, I'll help clip them. I mean, but here's a guy who used his calling for the king kingdom and you see that's what you do a full-time child of god but he used the skills as a seed bag so that he could do ministry you know whatever you are doing are any full-time ministers here today any full-time ministers just julie julie i got another one jeff brian any other full-time ministry people here today folks you're all in full-time ministry go ahead put your hand up you're all in full-time ministry like your job isn't the thing that you're hating to go to on tuesday that's your seed bag. That's some gift or some skill or something that you're using. But you're doing that as unto the Lord. But you're doing that and you were placed where you are so that you can do full-time ministry. You're all in ministry, folks. Every one of you. And Luke was like that, a beloved physician using his gifting. Hallelujah. Are you ready? I'm still pretty much, I'm under 20 minutes, so this is really great. All right. Demas. Now everybody's got Demas. There's Demas on people's teams. 2 Corinthians 4.10, for Demas has forsaken me having loved this world. Now, he sent a greeting from Demas, so apparently Demas was a part of the team. But even good teams, even great ministry teams get fallout. Even great ministry teams have people who kind of go, you know what, this is too hard. I can't do this anymore. And, and it says he loved this present world. 
He loved this present world. Even the best of ministry teams have defection. This is a person who could not detach himself from temporal stuff. This is a person who said, you know, the stuff I see, the things before me, this is crowding in on my life and it's attaching itself to me and my fervor and my passion for God is going away because the stuff in front of me has become more important than serving him. That's the people who aren't here today. You know, they're like that. It's the people who said, let's not have a Sunday night service. It's those people. (laughs) I'm only messing with you. You know, we can't put a scale on that. You can't, like, I'm going to stick a meter in John to see how hot he is for Jesus. Wow, oh my God, he's really hot for Jesus. I'm going to try, Gord. Have you got a pulse there? You can't measure how hot and cold people are for God by some outer thing. How often do they go to church? How often do they do this? How early do they pray? You can't do that. But you know what? Somewhere, Demas let his passion for the purposes of God and the call of God in his life, he let it get affected by temporal stuff. He let the things of this world creep in. See, but when you get into Jesus, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, that's not something you have to do. That's something that happens when you fix your eyes on Jesus. Suddenly, this don't matter. What really matters is all the people that I want to get into the fullness of the kingdom. Because, folks, this is all going to go, and we're going to spend eternity with him. So that's what's really important. Can I get an amen? How are you guys doing anyways? I'm doing my best, all right? Are you guys all right? You okay? All right, yeah. Hey, thank you very much. Just, just for those who are watching on the internet, there is a live audience. <laughs> Amen. I was beginning with this was the group that are going first. The dead in Christ shall rise first. I'm in Christ. Anyways, don't, don't let me offend you. Don't forget, 70 times 7. Look, some of you, I could, be, I could be a long ways down your list, but hey, it's not about numbers. It's about constancy. Okay. Nymphus. Now, Nymphus, the, the, the new King James, the King James, the Ostrich version, changes it to a he. But the original text, it's a she. And in all the other translations after that, most of them would put she. I don't know why the original version was written like 500 years ago by men who didn't have much respect for women. Had to change all those things because it didn't go through their filter. This was a woman, and this was a single woman. Let all the single women in the house say, hey. (laughs) That was pretty good, wasn't it? There's a few guys said, hey. That was a bit weird, but (laughs) okay. (laughs) Some guys were like, single women were. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) All right. But Nymphus was a single, wealthy woman who wanted everything she had to be used for the kingdom. She started a church in her own home and said to Nymphus and to the church that's in your home, what a gift it is to be a woman and what a gift it is to be single. It's a gift. But if you burn, please get married. Okay, good. All right. Just thought I'd throw that in because I'm a good pastor. All right. How you doing? All right. We're we're almost there. Say almost there, Pastor. Julie Downey's shaking her head at me. She's going to tell on my wife later. Okay. Archippus, Archippus, verse 17, here's what it says, and oh yes, this is from the message, it says, and oh yes, tell Archippus, do your best in the job you receive from the master, do your very best, folks, you don't choose a calling, you have received a calling, you don't choose ministry, ministry chooses you, 
And there is a ministry that God has called you to and it is from him and that you have received. Now what he's called you to do, do your best. Do your very best. Are you doing your best? Do you understand what God's called you, where he's placed you in the body? Do you know what he wants you to do with the ministry he wants you to fulfill? And are you in the face of that, not just trying to pull it off, but you're pulling it off with excellence, and you're not just doing your best, but I'm doing my very best, Pastor. You know what God has for you, yes. Are you doing your best? Yes. In fact, Pastor, I'm doing my very best. Could you imagine, and we're doing it, I know you're doing it, but can you imagine if the next few months up into Christmas, if all of us tried to be the very best at what God's called us to, if all of us tried to be the very best at what God's done and how he's placed us in this house, if we try to not be, you know, a part-time attender or somebody who just consumes something and impact every once in a while, but if every one of us for the next four months understood what it was to be the very best person I can be to my brothers and sisters in this house. What if for four months we literally made a commitment that I'm not just going to mail it in. I'm going to be your brother. I'm going to be your sister. And I'm going to know why I'm here. And I'm going to do my very best while I'm here. You're going to know that I'm here. You're going to feel my prayers. You're going to feel my giving. You're going you're gonna to feel my involvement. You're going to know that I'm engaged for the next three months. After that, you can backslide, do whatever you want. But what would happen if the next four months, just every one of us said, I'm going to be my very best. I'm going to be the best church member they ever did see. I'm going to be the best brother, the best sister. I'm going to give it. You know, for four months, Pastor, I'm going to give it all. What would this church look like in four months? Just an idea, you know. Take it home, chew it around, think about it a little. Please. This could be such a season of harvest that we're entering into. You know, the Apostle Paul had an amazing anointing and amazing calling, but the Apostle Paul could do nothing without all of these people that came alongside of his ministry. And every one of them weren't less significant, and it wasn't like Paul's the big guy and they're little guys. Every one of them had full-time significant roles to play in God's purpose. God has placed you here in London for a purpose. He's placed you in this body for a purpose. You're here today for a purpose. Why not? Do it on purpose, and why not give it your very best? A couple of amens. Thankfully, it was a couple of elders. That was good. I got another slide. Grace will do it. Grace will do it. Will you do it? Grace will do it. When you really let the grace of God explode in your heart, and you realize how much he has done for you, and how free he is, and how he's empowered you, and when you really enter into his rest you actually begin to function. When you actually enter in his rest and his unforced rhythms of grace, you can actually start to manifest everything he's called you to be. Remember my chains, grace be to you, amen. This is not a duty or a burden to fulfill my role. It's engaging the divine favor of heaven. It's engaging the divine favor of heaven. It's engaging the divine favor of heaven. Amen. Come on, stand up. Hey, don't forget, tomorrow we got the picnic. Picnics are important. Picnics are a significant part of theology, and you should be there, and it's good for you. I want to get to know you and throw water balloons at you. So it's good stuff. Come on, let's just uh, do something for me, will you? Maybe you haven't done it before. Maybe you've done it once in a while, but would you just lift your hands with me? Just lift your hands up in the air. 
It's not awkward. It's okay. Just lift them up. I did that because you're under arrest. You really are. I got the bazooka of God's favor headed right at you. Father, you know, in our hearts, every one of us want to give you our best. Every one of us want to be and realize everything you've called us to do. And Father, we don't want to be like Demas who let the temporal stuff get in the way. We don't want to be like some who just get distracted sometimes. But Lord, every day we want to be about what you're doing. And that doesn't mean, you know, more rules to obey and more hoops to jump through. But I want to live every day where I open my eyes and I let you be the Lord of my life on purpose. Where every day, the work that you've given me to do, I'm doing my best. I'm doing my very best. And I want the unforced rhythm of your favor to flow in my life. I'm not going to do this out of duty. I'm going to do it out of passionate love. And I'm going to do it out of passionate love for you and also a passionate love for the lost. Because the lost need to see me taking you seriously. And I'm going to do it because you've loved me so much. Because you've given me so much, I'm not indebted to you, but I'm indebted to every other person I see to demonstrate the love of God. So Father, I commit myself. I raise my hands and I say, for the next three, four months, I surrender to the call of God in my life to be the very best brother or sister that I could be. I want to be there. I want to be consistent. I want to be faithful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to manifest strength. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to just be there for people like never before. I'm going to break windows and go to jail. No, not that part. Not that part. But Lord, I'm going to be there for people in their pain and where they are. They're going to know that they got a brother and a sister that are serious about the call of God in their life. And so, Father, I, as a pastor, I commit myself. You gave me a call, and I want to do my best, my very, very best. And Father, in these next few months, we are asking you for harvest. We are asking you for souls. We are asking you for increase. We are asking you for more people to love on and care for. We're going to do Alpha. We're going we're gonna, to you know, pray about Y books. We're going we're gonna to preach. We're going to sing. We're going to do everything we do to lift up our passion for you. And so, Father, in Jesus' precious name, as we come into this fresh new season, as we step into harvest, we just commit ourselves afresh to you right now. Use us for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' precious name. And now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ would be revealed to each and every one. I pray that the love of the Father would be such a powerful manifestation in our lives that it alone would propel us. And I thank you for the knowledge of this, that Holy Spirit, you are my best friend and you are my partner in ministry and my partner in life. And I thank you that you go with me everywhere I go and in everything I do, you are my helper. So I commission and I command the greatest blessing on this flock right now. On this group of people, I command in Jesus' name favor and just miraculous manifestations of God's goodness. I just loose them into the mission field of the world to demonstrate the love and glory of God. For your honor and for your glory, we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.